Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Sport Kite podcast, where we'll be talking about any and all things Sport Kite related. Over the next episodes, we hope to talk about everything from how to set up your first Sport Kite to more advanced stuff like how to tweak your trick flying and kind of a little bit of everything in between. I am your host, Nick O'Neill, founder of SportKite.org, and I wanted to thank you for tuning in and listening. In this second episode, the crew of Paul DeBacher, Hunter Brown, John McCracken, Devin Coblay Morrison, and Zach Gordon discuss if there is a best way or a right way to learn how to fly sport kites. Zach kicks it off with some basic tips that kind of will help everyone. Devin then gives insight on the general learning process, whereas Paul points out advantages to playing and experimenting. John adds some great insight into the styles of learning, and Hunter touches on how equipment and time is important. Let's get started. Seeing as most of you guys have spent quite some time learning to be sport kite flyers uh, up to this point, um, there's a lot of debate regarding the best way to learn and progress. And I was wondering what you guys think is the best way. I know this is, this is a very hard question to answer. Yes. But if you had to say the best way to learn and to progress, what would it be? I have a very long rant for this, but I feel like we only have two hours, Devin. Yeah, I know Zach, as I know you have a time crunch, so I feel like this is a big thing. You should totally go though, just in case. Um, okay. It's tough. I mean, cause there's a, there's a lot of facets to it. Um, I would like to say location is important. Like where you are trying to fly, you want to set yourself up for success. So if you're able to fly near a body of water, um, that is probably going to provide the best wind or the smoothest wind that you have if you're not then a field that's not surrounded by trees i mean that being said like whenever we did a lot of practicing for competitions my brother and i and sister would typically fly in a field surrounded by trees um but when i was learning i did learn on the beach in michigan uh so I think setting yourself up for success is important. And then, oh, sorry, if you will. No, 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 I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm trying not to interrupt, but I, I'm going to forget otherwise when you said yeah, field yeah. of trees. Did you guys ever learn a, a, a rule of thumb for, for how far you needed to be away from the trees before the wind started getting clean again? Um, well, this, I think this relates a lot more towards like kind of after I already knew what I was doing or after I was competent in what I was doing and intentionally practicing for competitions, um, we kind of liked flying on in poor conditions for practice because then we set ourselves up for success in competition. So like if we went to a competition and the wind was awful, we've been practicing an awful wind where a lot of the guys or people that were flying in perfect wind come here, they don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I remember like a lot of national conventions, the fields were not the best setups. And a lot of the guys that have been practicing on the coasts, it was difficult for them. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I don't think there was a specific, to answer your question, there wasn't like a specific rule that we found. It was just kind of where, like what we had access to. Um, we tried to be as far away from the trees as possible, but in a, in a field that has trees on it, you're going to get wind buffets probably no matter what. Um, but yeah, just get away from it as much as you can, I guess, unless you're trying to just be completely insane. Um, but yeah, and then I think the other other thing would be like find a kite and then stick with that one kite for a little bit or that that series of kites like ultralight standard invented. Um, because if you're if you're kind of switching between a bunch of different kites while you're learning, it's gonna be really difficult to know how that kite is going to react in a specific wind condition, or if you try and do tricks, or if you're trying to land, or this way, if you really know that one kite, I think it's going to be a lot easier than to build your own skill. And then when you do make a transition to another kite, you're already going to have that like foundation of, of competency. Um, I don't know. I think that's a good stopping point for right now. Maybe. We were talking about pr how to progress or how – was that the question? I kind of lost Yes. That's what I learned, right? I mean, that makes sense, though, because, like, you're progressing by developing, like, a home base. We all need a home yeah. base. Well, like, this is, you know, kind of unrelated, but I've recently started playing a lot of Frisbee golf. And it's really much the same where, like, it's so easy to want to get another disc and learn how to throw that one. But I have three in my bag that I don't actually know what they're how they're supposed to work. So I'm not actually getting better. I'm just getting more stuff to kind of fail at learning. Um, I don't know. And then I guess, yeah, so back to this, I think just repetition is really important too. just give yourself time. Don't get frustrated by because it could it can take a while, you know, to really get competent at it. That's good. I'll, I'll stop there for now. Sweet. Can I throw a couple thoughts into the fire on this one? So, sure. okay, John has heard me talk about this endlessly, so I'm very sorry that you're going to have to hear me say all of this again. I'm just going to mute. So recently, <laughs> or over the past decade, I've had some physical things come up where I've had to essentially relearn everything on the lines in my horn playing career paths, like brain stuff, everything. And like, you know, like growing up flying kites, you almost kind of just do it as a kid. And like, it's kind of like being just submerged around another language when you're a kid, eventually you riding the bike almost. Yeah. Um, but when you lose everything and have to pick it up again, um, this was a big eye opener to me in like, you know how everybody says the phrase, like, it seems like I take three steps forward and two steps back. That is so much an asset when it comes to learning anything, especially this bloody freaking thing where we're standing alone in a field, crashing into God knows what, whether that be someone else's dog, a tree, a post. If you're John, a demo post and put a big hole in the kite. <laughs> it was like, already vented. We did vent it on a tennis court that day. Um, but, you know, all of this stuff. So, like, it started it got me thinking like going all the way back to square one. So like what comes before we fly? Like we have our lines, we have our kite assembly, et cetera. Like part of 
progressing, even just flying actually does involve a step going back to looking at what we have. So like we get the kite out, we learn how to fly it. We keep it in the air. Right. Then we learn stalls. All of a sudden the stalls probably are a real pain in the rear end for lack of a better term. Okay. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'll save the technicalities for later. So then since the stall is the fundamental, I guess the crux of stringing together flying and tricks, we go back to flying, landing, and even before flying, which might have to do with an observation that, oh, I don't know, our lines are uneven or something like that. So you're incorporating like being aware of your equipment, where things are set on your kite, how it affects its flying. Then you move into stalls and easier tricks, half axles. Well, I think we've all ran into the problem where like, if our, if our hacks at half axles aren't efficient, you have a problem stringing them into cascades and especially the comet. Um, there's a lot of people that are throwing like a four input move and a half axle when in reality it's like half that. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and then they go like, why can't I cascade or comet? In which case my question is, can I see your half axle? Right. So like incorporating this three steps forward, two steps back kind of mindset but also seeing everything through the lens of like actual application and not just result, result, result is really important. Yes. You can do a half axle. Great. But if it's getting in the way of stringing something together, it probably isn't right. <laughs> like, and like, that's a really hard pill to swallow. If you've been doing it the same way for 20 years, mm -hmm. um, but if you want to get better, you can't say, oh, I want to learn the comet, the comet, comet. Jacob Slider, Jacob Slider. There's something before level three that is getting in the way of level three. <laughs> um, and being able to, like, to have that level of awareness and see things through this lens of, like, application and also seeing things objectively and not being too hard on yourself is really important. I know this has nothing to do with kiting whatsoever. But, like, it's very important. You can't, like, if the problem is the problem, yes, we know that's the problem, but you can't solve the problem until you figure out how the problem happened. And it's hard when you're under the gun and by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that's, like, the biggest thing I've noticed, especially teaching a ton of people this year, is, like, just this. It, it, we're all a bit tunnel-visioned, I think, when we're learning. Um, I think that's something that we could all do better at, is kind of getting rid of... Whatever, what, what do the horses wear that make them look like a little aliens when they're walking around Mackinac Island? Little blinders. blinders. Yeah. Like, you know, get rid of those. See what's going on. Oh, God, they're laughing. Oh, dear. I said, <laughs> but. Well, I think this this makes a lot of sense and it kind of ties into like, yeah, giving, like setting yourself up for success. And that can change, that can look different as you progress as a flyer. So, like, building a foundation that you can then work off of. If your foundation is when you're first starting is, like, launching the kite, that's cool foundation. You want to get that super solid. As you continue, you want to then you want to make your half axle be super solid. And that's your new, like, baseline. Yep. And that standard is going to get higher and higher mm -hmm. every time you acquire another tool in your toolbox. Yep. So, if your half axle, if you're flying competition, sorry, I said the C word, the kiter C word. I like um, competition. Right? Like, so if you're flying, okay, Zach, you're six years old and you're flying competition. Say you got judged on your half axles and they said, we're going to be very generic. They, they gave you a six out of 10 and you thought that half axle was the coolest freaking thing in the world and it was super solid. 
Probably to me it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like 10 years in the future, if you went back and watched that competition after like nailing all your cascades to the, what is it, V for Vendetta, the 1812, the climax yeah. of that routine, you'd yeah. probably look at that and go, wow, that half axle was not what I thought it was because you've had the opportunity to acquire other tools, do this, that, and then you, like your standards have to keep growing. Like your fundamental standards mm-hmm. grow as you grow always. And it's really hard to lose sight of that. Really, uh, yeah, really easy to lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. So, especially if you're flying by yourself. Oh yeah. You know, I had the fortunate, you know, chance because Josh and I, my brother, we basically started flying at the same time. He started flying a little bit earlier than I did, but like we got into the competition world at the same time. So we're like, we were constantly pushing each other. And when we went out to practice, we were practicing together. And then Elizabeth started doing all three of us were practicing at the same time on the same field. And I'm like, that's my competition. I can see them over there. I see what they're doing. I want to beat them. Yep. You pick up things sometimes by observation through others that you might not necessarily see yourself. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Even if that means like someone's throwing up a kiting video on the lounge or on their wall, for God's sake, like on social media or sending you, I don't know, a Snapchat video if kiters are still even doing that. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's a big deal. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. It's very easy to to go off of the the path of progression because I think it is so broad, and because it's so broad, and because we don't have a lot of people doing it around us, that presents a very interesting little dichotomy. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Anyways, sorry. I'm gonna close my mouth because my throat is dry, <laughs> which means I've been talking too much. <laughs> No worries. Um, super interesting, Zach, um, how how you say, I want to pick one kite, I want to get really proficient with it. Um, it's, that, it's that the way, the best way to learn competition flying, or is it the best way to learn kite flying? And it's a rhetorical question at this point, because I'm not going to let you answer right now. Um, my, my, because my experience was almost the opposite. I, I grabbed every kite I could get a hold of, mostly not mine, crashed it, crashed other people's kites, broke other people's kites. Oh, I totally did that too. <laughs> <laughs> and got the feeling for all those different wings, and they're all, in a, in a sense, look the same, right? It's all the Delta with standoffs, but they all fly differently. And mm-hmm. and I feel that gave me a really good basis of, of just in general what a kite should be able to do. At a certain point, you're also learning – or I was also learning that it wasn't always me. Sometimes it was just simply <laughs> a kite. I was trying to get something out of a kite that was not really meant to do that. And I go to a different kite and it almost gives it away to you. I'm like, oh crap. And you take that skill, that muscle memory that you then quickly can build up and take it back to the original kite. Um, I guess all that to say, yeah, for, for competition and, and, and <laughs> serious demo work, I absolutely go with, you know, you, you, you get into one kite, the one kite that fits you best. Uh, for general kite flying, freestyle kite flying, trick kite flying, for me, it was more like fly, fly everything. Uh, additionally to that, and I think we see that with a lot of our, our, our novice slash beginning kite flyers, uh, right now on everybody's buying everything right mm-hmm. you buy this kite you buy that kite and a week later they got something else that they're that they're spanking around and it's it's 
I think you have to, <laughs> I think you have to go through that as well to f- to find what fits you and your developing style. And and even if it's only for this year or or, or the coming two years, and maybe you've gotten to be you, you probably if you continue kite flying, you're going to be a different kite flyer two years from now. So maybe then you need another kite again or to go through another phase where you where you try a bunch of different things. Um, just I. I I do agree with you, but it brought immediately up uh, my my learning at the time. Mm-hmm. No, I think actually, like, looking back on it, that advice definitely was geared, I think, more unintentionally geared more towards how I practice for competition um, and set that up. Looking back on it, like, I did grab a bunch of kites, did try kind of as many as I could, I guess, but then I, but I do think I did stick with one for a while. Like I stuck with, I think I like my first one that I stuck with was like the Mako or something from Blue Moon Kites, or something, or like the Mojo or something like that. Um, but I will say, I, I think going off of your your point of, well, this kite was difficult to to learn an axle with, so I switched, so I picked up another one, and it was way easier. Like, yeah that can be a thing for sure. Like the Mamba probably isn't the best one to learn how to do a like Comet on. But once I was able to do it on that, that kind of forcing myself to learn on a kite that might not be the best trick kite. I feel like I was that much better once I nailed it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think the Mamba in general is just not the best. It's not a typical trick kite. It, It gets wing wraps all the time if you if you're not careful but i think learning in that might have made me a more competent trick flyer or more reliable you know instead of the switching to a kite that can do it a little easier yep i think there's a lot of uh a lot of interesting like points through this i know uh john mccrack and i've been talking about this um and we're, we're planning it we've got some shapes drawn but like when it comes to like a progressive line of kites, which I know is like a thing that has not been used really since like like the late nineties. Um, for for an example's sake, let's just say the kites are numbered one, two, and three. If kite number one is a beginner kite, great. When when I push someone towards kite number two in this progressive line, I want kite number two to have a completely different personality. So say it's high aspect it's a little pitchy if we're talking tricks it is very much roll up kind of based and pitch based as opposed to rotational based then when they learn that and they get comfortable with the pitch and they kind of have to work around these rotational challenges yeah if you will (laughs) i want kite number three in that line to be the opposite and that way you're taking this place you're kind of building your confidence right on on one side one aspect of flying and you're taking that confidence and going okay well that guy does it really well you're you're seeing its orientation how things are reacting and how the kite is giving things away when it's set up well and you can apply the strengths of kite number two to problem solve the weaknesses of kite three and you you have this little kind of shift of like confidence and 
assets and liabilities, they're, they're completely alternating on every kite, but you're always kind of growing this, this level of awareness and fundamentals as you're going through this set. And I think like what Zach is saying and what Paul is saying is completely correct. Like Paul, I'm hearing you say like hearing, not hearing, feeling like all the different personalities of every kite gave you a home base. Cause like you can pick up anything and fly it really well. And anyone that flies will know like that's Paul DeBacher. Like you have a very distinct like style in the air and like pacing that works really well. It's very elegant and very like well thought out, um, very, like groundworky and nice and floaty. Um, so it's always what I go to when it comes to like grace. It's like, it's like watching an indoor flyer fly outdoors in like this brilliant way that's always very connected. And like when it comes to like Zach's flying, like you have, you, you're essentially kind of on this opposite side of this coin where you're very, like you've done all the different changes and then you've had like mambas for so long <laughs> to, to the point where like when I put something that I'm building in your hands and you say like, well, I want it to feel like this because, because I have Paul's background of knowing all these different kites. I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about because I, I, shit, you made me fly the Mambos in competition when I competed. I'm like, so, this is the kite. <laughs> yeah. So like, actually, you know, I had every blue moon kite created, Yeah. which I still don't know how I managed to pull that off. But like, because you have like a very, you've had kind of both and Paul has been able to adjust all these different personalities. Like mm -hmm. I, I can understand where you're both coming from, but also I think it, there's a lot to be said actually about this competition setting and the the ability to figure out all these problems on one kite because it does almost in an essence achieve what Paul is saying if you stick with that one kite for so freaking long, which you <laughs> did. And I stuck with the solos for so long, so I like, like, yeah. like, get it. Um it's interesting. Like there, I think it goes back to like, there's not really like one great way, one specific way to progress, which is great. But at the end of the day, they both have to be incredibly disciplined and they both have to be very mindful, mm -hmm. which does not exactly sound appealing in a hobby, <laughs> but like, kind of just like, it just kind of grows. As, I'll say know. probably getting and flying a bunch of different kites is probably a lot more fun than trying to figure out how to do something with your kite that it doesn't necessarily want to do. <laughs> yes. I, I <laughs> so, agree. Yeah. Well, and Definitely I think too, more of a fun thing. Sorry. I mean, a lot of this conversations ha that's happened over the past, however long Devin was talking, right. <laughs> um, I think that most it's of that. Measured in eons, was, John. I know. You should see his text messages. Um, <laughs> the, I think what we've missed all of the talk that we we just had was mostly equipment based but you know we're at what is the best way to learn we haven't talked about and Devin go on for years about this styles of learning how people learn where whether it's auditory tactile you know or whether you, you learn better by reading or watching visually um i think there's that's a absolutely a huge part of it but then there's also the resource side of it when and not in terms of equipment resources but people resources like i learned to fly from trenopal you know devin learned to fl it was outgrown quickly uh, 
So, you know, and, and people learn to fly from different people, but then you have some of these people like out in the middle of nowhere that are flying, learning to fly from videos that are bad habits. So they're learning bad habits up front and they're just compounding bad habit after bad habit after bad habit. So there's no right way. There's certainly a wrong way to an experienced person. Um, that's my two cents. I agree with that. Cause if you're, yeah, I mean, looking back, it's like it, I mean, I might've started it, but yeah, I was constantly surrounded by other flyers that were more experienced than I, than I was that were like taking me almost step by step through the process. And if I didn't have that, it would have been, I mean, significantly harder even watching, you know, YouTube videos, it's it, it's so different than actually being with somebody there. Absolutely. I mean, there's the big part of that too. You know, back when you guys first started flying, like YouTube wasn't a thing. The internet yeah. may not have been a thing when Paul started flying. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're on mute, Paul. It it yeah thanks, <laughs> it it really wasn't no uh, we we learned a different way right we yeah. went to the field we liked this flying thing, and we went to the field and we just looked at each other and 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 laughed at each other and 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 did all the 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 things and and slowly muddled our way through what would hopefully later become somewhat of a of a recognizable thing. Um, there there was. It was still very much in the in the beginning phase of, of of and I think because we're all freestyle flyers here, I'm gonna talk mostly about that. Um, it was still very much in the beginning phase of 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 freestyle flying. So we essentially, yeah, resource wise, it was rough. But at the same time, it wasn't rough because we didn't know what we were missing. I guess it wasn't like we had something to compare. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think, luckily, I've been able to figure out how to condense this down. Sorry for being wordy. Um, when it comes to learning, like when people are really stuck, you know, you see all these people posting everything online, and that's great. Like, whoever's listening to this that does that, do more of it. Um, when it comes to actually teaching that person, hey, we already have a bunch of resources, right? Like, we've already seen it. Um, and B, you can kind of, like, we can always see, like, this kind of same recurring thing that's going on. Um, man, that sounds a little cocky. I'll explain in a second. Um, basi basically, like, basically what's going on is, like, when I've been teaching people lately, and I think, John, tell me if I'm wording this correctly, um, you, you made the observation that kiting is very much for me it's about managing slack as opposed to like throwing things away like you always want to be connected with the kite and i think there's a lot to be said about a what's all over social media about kites flipping around and doing this and that and the other someone online recently called them panic attacks um kind of looks like that. yeah like there's a lot going on right and when you think smack, 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 or you think even the term slack line trick, it's very easy to pull past 
the point of pressure or I, my horn playing self wants to say compression that's being provided to you from the kite. The kite is already flying when there's wind. We don't need to fly the kite. We're telling it where to go. <laughs> like, so if that kite is pulling like, we'll just keep numbers round, 10 pounds, 10 pounds of pressure on the lines. To, to stop the kite, we want to apply a little bit more than what's being given to us and throw it back so that number kind of equals zero. You always want to be feeling, if that kite's pulling 10 pounds in the power zone and you want good speed control, try to keep that 10 pounds, maintain that 10 pounds all the way out on the extremes of the window. But get used to what that feels like in the hand that day. And if you can't feel it, this is where equipment comes in, take off your handles and fly on the sleeving. I did when I was a kid. Like, if the wind is light enough, fly on the triangles of the handles. Like, train your sensitivity find that 10 pounds and maintain it relentlessly. And when you're throwing something at a trick or you're throwing something into a stall, whatever pressure you are feeling, maintain it. Which it all goes back to that fundamental thing. If you're, it's really easy to get into this habit of pulling past what the kite is giving you. And that's really scary when you when you're pulling past something that's already there and you can't feel what's there, then you find yourself in a rabbit hole of a lot of disconnection, um, problems transitioning between trick stalls, flight, all that stuff, right? These are constantly not connected. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're, you know, two fields behind you. Like, yeah, like John. Like, um, that's me. <laughs> like, but it's very true, and it's that's something that's really hard to communicate online. Um, is is to simply respect what the kite is doing. It's already flying. I always tell my stu my students, <laughs> whatever. If you leave the field thinking like I'm the biggest control freak ever, good, you've learned something. Because like. It, a lot of this has to do with relinquishing control and respecting what's being given to you. That's how you find that, uh, like, kind of beautiful relationship and connection with I the kite. I was just about to say that you've just described a working relationship. Yeah. And next thing you know, like, we're playing Britney Spears Toxic, driving home crying if we're not improving. Like, you know, like, hmm. because I'm you not can't. Sure that I've ever found anything. myself. That's not really my go to. There. Yeah, no. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> You know what I mean? But like De Devin nailed mine. I don't know. <laughs> no, Devin, we don't know what you mean. <laughs> but like well, I think that that kind of goes back to why I why I'm advocating trying to stick with something until you know it like the bag of your hand. You know, because then you really do it really does become like kind of an extension of you mm -hmm. in the sky. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a long it's, extension. It's hmm? it, it, a comfort level for sure. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I think back to like when I learned and when I was progressing the most, I mean, it was an interesting time in the sense of it was before YouTube and the videos that we had were, you know, we had VHS videos that were coming out, you know, periodically. And, you know, I was. How old are you, Hunter? <laughs> Heck, I could have said we had data tapes. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but we had, you know, the, the, the flight school series from Dodd was, was coming out and, you know, I guess you could say I was learning about the pace those videos were coming out. So 
you know, I couldn't jump to a comet. Comet didn't exist at the time, you know, but so I was kind of forced to go through that progression. But, um, you know, I was flying quite a few different kites and, and, you know, starting to get that feel like Paul said earlier about certain kites do certain tricks better than others. And you figure that out, that the reason I can't do a lazy Susan is because that kite just doesn't like to do it. Um, uh, but I mean, it, it got alluded to earlier, but, you know, I'll, I'll point it out again. The biggest thing is putting time on the fly field or time on a kite. Um, it, it all takes time. If you're getting out there and flying once a month, you can't expect to progress very much as someone who's getting out there and flying three times a week. And we all know that depending on what stage in life you are, certain people have more flexibility to do that. Um, you know, I was in a stage in my life where I was young and I didn't have a lot of responsibilities and I was able to do that. Um, you know, uh, so it, it's time and it, just like anything else out there, whether it be basketball or it be kiteboarding or, you know, fishing, it's all time, you know, putting that time in and kind of committing to it. And then another thing I think is interesting too, and, and this got prompted for me from uh, a question that was asked on a Facebook group somewhere is to me that helps with progression is building out a well-rounded kite bag that allows you to fly in a variety of conditions. You know, I, I grew up learning some at the beach, but also some inland. And I had to have short set of lines and I had to have ultralights and, um, you know, a variety of, uh, you know, of types of lines and a variety of type of kites. I'm not saying you have to have a, you know, a tremendous amount of money tied up in it, but having something that will fly in very little to no wind, having something standard and, um, various line links and then starting to play with it. And those are all things that I think were helpful to my progression. Mm -hmm. Like ultimately we say we fly sport kites, plural. Like yeah. how dumb would you be if you're like, I fly sport kite. Like people think <laughs> you're bloody barbarian. Like, you know, like it, that, that in and of itself, like the pluralization, if that's a word of that word, like, that's it implies word. that we ply, ply, fly other things. Even if that's ultralight standard vent, like whatever tickles your peach, your big old kite peach, whatever. Like, shut up, Paul. <laughs> um, but like, there is, there's a lot to be said about actually being able to train yourself to fly everything and have the tools to do it. Because then you can get into some serious trouble if you keep forcing something to do what it's not supposed to, even if it's in the wrong wind range. As you're learning. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, you're rolling the kite up going, I can roll up. And everyone's going, no, you're just struggling to fly in low wind. <laughs> and then we have a well, problem. And, 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 and I mean, to that point, I think, again, and I, we probably, this was just recently that someone asked the question about, like, I won't say what type of kite it was. I can't remember for sure. But, you know, they were using a particular dual line kite. And they were saying, like, gosh, I'm having a really hard time getting it to, I don't know, it was like stall. And then it somewhat in the conversation came out that they were trying to do it on this particular kite and, like, 15 mile an hour winds and it's like yeah you're gonna have a hard time getting it to stall in 15 <laughs> you know um, yeah. but you know it's, it's all that I and mean, i guess learning yeah learning the right conditions for it you know and, and and all that one might even say you need to set yourself up for success of course in fact one person has been saying <laughs> one person might have actually said that already <laughs> like yeah no that's that's all valid like it's astounding how many logical things I guess that I guess logical is relative, but it is kind of amazing, like how even we like flying this long will overlook something that should be so obvious. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, 
needless to say, if anybody's watching this and this actually makes it to the website, like you're not alone. We all have the grace of a crashing plane. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you're not uh, crashing. You're not learning. Yep. Right. That's why the beetle has a plastic nose. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's also why people shatter the plastic nose on the Alpha Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this second episode for the Sport Kite Podcast. We hope to be bringing you something new every week. Like next week, you can find out whether competition is necessary for progressing your Sport Kite flying. Don't forget to find sportkite.org on Facebook and give it a like and a follow, and check out the website sportkite.org and watch this resource grow. If you have any questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach us at info at sportkite.org or drop us a line on Facebook. By the way, if you like what you've heard here and you'd like to see it continue, consider becoming a supporter. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash sportkite. Thank you for listening. Till next time. <laughs>